This day is the father of great anniversaries. Men and saints shall picnic together on 14 August down more years than you or I shall see. So say it tonight with saluting guns. Say it with roses. Say it with a hand clasp, a drink, a prayer. Say it any way you want, but say it. Say it! Columbia Broadcasting System presents 14 August, a message for the day of victory by Norman Corwin, spoken by Orson Welles. Congratulations for being alive and listening on this night. Millions didn't make it. They died before their time, and they are gone and gone. For the fascists got them. They are not here, but their acts are here. Hey, by the way, I, uh, I'll get through this very quickly. I had lunch today with an old friend of yours, Ben Lyons, that I understand you were new in London during the war. Oh, I saw a great deal of him. Is he in Hollywood now? Yes, he is. He's here with B.B. Daniels, and he said to say hello to you. Oh, good. Give him my regards, please. I'll do that. Betty, uh, every once in a while I see a reference to you as The Look. How did you earn that perceptive title? Well, The Look, Ed, came along at the same time as The Legs and The Leer and The Whatever, What Have You. <laughs> the From Down Under Look, as Mr. Bogart named it, came in a very odd fashion. It came because I was so nervous when I started to work in pictures that... I felt that the only way to steady myself was to give the look, which is this. <laughs> uh, Miss McCall, what do you consider the best picture you were ever in? Well, the best picture I ever was in was for sentimental reasons to have and have not. And for other reasons, I suppose, how to marry a millionaire. But the best still picture I ever was in, if you care to see it, I'll be happy to show it to you. Yes. I can guess what it is. <laughs> <laughs> this is it, Ed. And I'm sure that you will recognize that it's Harry Truman on the right and little me on the left. Yes. And it came about, I was asked to appear at the National Press Club in Washington one afternoon, and the Vice President of the United States, Harry Truman, was going to be there at the same time. He was asked to uh, play the piano, and suddenly a voice from the unknown, from the Never Never Land, came and said, Would you please sit on the piano? I did sit on the piano, and this is the result. It's a wonderful memento for me. I, I'm very happy about it. I don't know how Mr. Truman feels, but... Uh... <laughs> Bogart and Bacall moved into a white brick mansion in Homely Hills, and he bought a 55-foot yacht called the Santana from Dick Powell, spending about 30 weekends each year on the water. With World War II over, Bogart wanted to do more radio. On September 17, 1945, he hosted an audition for a new mystery thriller program called Humphrey Bogart Presents. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is Humphrey Bogart. Tonight's author, James M. Kane. Tonight's story, Dead Man. From Hollywood, a new dynamic series based on the work of the great names of the modern short story. 
Presented by the actor-producer, Humphrey Bogart. Actor-producer. Well, that's a moniker I'll have to get used to. You know, when an actor turns producer, searching for material becomes one of his main jobs. And one of mine is to read stories of all kinds. Adventure, romance, mystery, comedy. Always looking for strong yarns. Well told, it will achieve the big result, entertainment. And this is the type we're going to dramatize for you. Speaking as Bogart the actor, I'd like to appear in some of them. This is especially true of the one we're going to bring you tonight by James Kane. Jim's a great student of human nature. That's evident in his novels like The Postman Always Rings Twice, Serenade, Double Indemnity, and The Moth. He doesn't write short fiction often, but in this piece, which appeared in the old American Mercury, you'll find the offbeat qualities that have made him famous. He got the idea for Dead Man one night waiting for a freight train to pass. There were some hobos perched on top of it, and, well, that's our story. But before we start... How about a word from High Averback? In this spot each week, we would have an opening commercial, followed by a short billboard. Now, for the first time on the air, James M. Kane's great short story, Dead Man, with Humphrey Bogart as Larry Knott and William Tracy as Lucky. What are we slowing down for? Why does a freight train always slow down 10 miles from nowhere in the middle of the night? Railroad bull coming down the line of Budasov. So let's get off. We're going slow enough to jump? Yeah, but too fast to get back on. Yeah, he's flashing his light now. All right, boys. Pile off. Hit the cinders. Let's go. Okay. Hey, what happened to that kid that was on here? I didn't see him jump. He climbed down in a coal chute. Hey, kid. The bull's coming. You can't hide from this guy. He's sitting in the chute. Okay, okay. I'm giving you guys a break. Are you going to jump? Come on, Mick. Right. Fall easy and roll when you hit. Try to be a nice guy and they walk all over you. Anybody down that coal chute? All right, wise guy, climb out of that chute. Turn off that flashlight. I'll turn it off, you little punk. Come out. Let go of me, you big ape. Hide out on me, will you? I try to give you a break and you hide out. Oh, right. Look out. Look out. The bottom of the chute is open. Look. Whoa. You'll go with me. All right, kid. Where are you? Ah, oh, you're not getting away from me. Let me go. Why don't you let me go? You had your chance. Larry Not ain't losing his job for a punk like you. You'll do a bit in the clink for this. You gotta get me there first. Now, big guy, this might even things up. Kid, put down that spike. I'll put it down. I was picking on people. I wasn't going to steal your lousy railroad. Now, maybe you'll, maybe you'll let me go. Mister. Hey, mister. Mister! Wake up! Wake up! He's dead! He's dead! Got to get back to Los Angeles before morning. See how far on this roadside. 
17 miles. You better keep running, kid. You got a long way to go. Where are you? Who is it? It's me, kid. You know where I am. You left me there. Look, I didn't mean it. I, I didn't mean it. No, but you did it. Now you gotta run. You gotta run for the rest of your life. Just L.A., that's all. I'll, I'll be safe there, you understand? I'll be safe. You can't beat this, kid. I can, I can. I ate two meals yesterday in the soup kitchen. If I get back in time for breakfast, they'll remember me. Nobody will ever know I left the town. Nobody. Nobody. You'll know it, kid. And I'll know it. We'll always know it. You better run, kid. You can't hurt me. You're a dead man. You're dead. You're dead. there any bread to put in this slop? Oh, be glad you're living. Move on. I don't know why they're always kicking. That smells good to me. Oh, would you? You must love this grub. Thought you'd be off duty today. Me? Why would I be off? You mean you don't even get Sundays off in this joint? Sunday, wake up. This is Saturday. Saturday? Hey, that's right. It is Saturday. They're hanging signs and big banners all along the main drag for the parade. What kind of parade? The Shriners. Well, you get to see that for free. That ought to be your speed. Yeah, that's me. My name is Lucky. My name is Shorty, but I'm over six feet. Uh, nothing like that with me. I really got luck. Yeah? Like what? Like, for instance, getting a, a hunk of meat in this soup. There ain't no meat in there. But there's... Gonna be some, ain't there? Shiver plate over quick. Don't let nobody see you. Thanks, Shorty. Okay, Lucky. Don't let them guys see the meat. Back of the hall ain't lighted. Grab a table back there. Sure, sure. Ain't you hungry, kid? Why don't you eat? I'll eat, I'll eat. You'd better. You'll need strength. You gotta have strength to keep moving. I made it here. I'm all right. Sure. Made Shorty remember you. The day will stick in his mind because of the parade. That's smart, but it isn't enough. Why ain't it enough? You didn't kill another hobo, kid. You killed a cop. Only a railroad bull, but still a cop. They never close the books when a cop gets killed, Lucky. They work all day and all night. They ask questions. I got answers. You better have them. And you better have them fast. You'll have to think on your feet, kid. And you're tired. I gotta get some sleep. Where, though? Where? Sign pointing up the street said Lincoln Park. It's only 6 a.m. I can sleep there. And get picked up for vagrancy? That's bad. They'll bring you in for that and then start on something else. I can hide. Must be a stable or something in a park. I gotta sleep. Take it easy, kid. You're watching. You're walking too fast. anything honest. It was a mistake. You shouldn't have left home, son. I begged you not to go. Now the man is here. Tell him to go away. Tell him I'm sleeping. I'm sleeping too, Lucky. Go away. Leave me alone. No. 
to get ready for what's coming. Where did you spend last night, kid? In a flop house. Yeah, which one? I didn't pay no attention to the name. It was just a flop house. Where was this flop house at, Lucky? How should I remember? I've never been in L.A. before. I don't know the names of no streets. What did the place look like? Looked like a flop house. You think they'll buy that? What did the place look like, Lucky? What did it look like? Let me go! 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 Help! I think you let me go! Be quiet, he won't hurt you. All right, Goliath, put him down! Down! Thanks. Thanks. How'd you get in here? The side door was open. I thought this was the park stable. It's the elephant house at the zoo. What are you doing here? I... I just wanted to sleep, that's all. You're lucky you weren't stepped on in that hay. One of them might have rolled right over on you during the night. During the night? Yeah. Yeah, I was here all night. They might have killed me. They've got a good mind to call the cops and turn you in. No, 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 please don't do that. I'm broke. I, I, I couldn't go anyplace else. Give me a break. If I find a job, I'll be okay. All right. Now get out of here and stay out. Thanks. Thanks a lot. I'll get a job. I'll be all right. They won't know about the freight if I get a job. If a guy kills somebody, the cops wouldn't expect to find him looking for a job. Two hours sleep in there. That wasn't much. It was enough. I'm, I'm young. I'm strong. You're running again, kid. You're running again. Just a minute, lady. Let me check the air in this rear tire. It looks low. Ah, she's all right now. Thanks. Hurry back. Hello? Hello. What can I do for you? Oh, what's chances I'd get my job around here? If you mean right here in this service station, the chances are nothing flat. Why not? The sign says you're open 24 hours a day. I work 12. My brother-in-law works the other 12. We don't need any help. I ain't asking much, and you could both cut down on your hours. Look, brother, I know it's tough, but I got troubles of my own. I'm barely making a living myself. Here, here. Here's two bits for something to eat. That's all the help I can give you. I ain't asking for a handout. I want a job. If my clothes were better, would that change your mind? Even if the morning paper said you'd been elected one of the ten best-dressed men in Hollywood, the answer would still be no. I haven't got enough to do myself. Well, suppose I get better clothes. Will you talk to me again? I'm a registered Democrat. I'll talk to anybody. But I'm not hiring. I'll, I'll be back when I get better clothes. What's your name? Claire, right over the station. Hook. Oscar Hook. Thanks, Mr. Hook. Just got an idea I can talk myself into a job. Well, don't waste your time. Here, take the two bits. All right, thanks. I'll work it out for you when I come back. Stop trying to shove me out of my own business. <laughs> Good luck, kid. Thanks. I wondered when you were going to think about that, Lucky. Think about what? The clothes. So they're dirty, so what? Not all clothes get dirty that way. Where'd that coal dust come from? From the freight. What is that proof? Well, don't you know there isn't much coal brought into Southern California? That car may be the only one in six months. And I was killed on it, Lucky. Better think of something else, kid. You better think of something else. I'll get rid of these clothes. I'll, I'll get others. That won't be easy. Lots of people have seen you in those clothes. I told you how cops work. Coal dust on your clothes, and it was coal dust on mine. 
I got it all over me, too. And you got no money to buy new duds. I'll get them. I'll go down to the cheap store. Somebody will trust me. Maybe. But the cops will be looking for somebody with coal dust on his clothes. They'll check the stores. You'll be easy to remember, Lucky. You'll be very easy to remember. I'll take the small store. They, they can't check them all. They can't check them all. In a moment, act two of Dead Man. But first, a word from our sponsor. Meanwhile, Bogart and Bacall were on screen together again in 1946 in an adaptation of Raymond Chandler's Philip Marlowe novel, The Big Sleep. You wanted to see me? So you're a private detective. I didn't know they existed except in books, or else they were greasy little men snooping around hotel corridors. Ah, oh, you're a mess, aren't you? I'm not very tall, either. Next time I'll come on stilts, wear a white tie, and carry a tennis racket. I doubt if even that would help. Now, this business of Dad's, think you can handle it for him? It shouldn't be too tough. Really? I would have thought a case like that took a little effort. Not too much. What will your first step be? The usual one. I didn't know there was a usual oh, one. Oh, sure there is. It comes complete with diagrams on page 47 of how to be a detective in 10 easy lessons, correspondence school textbook, and uh, your father offered me a drink. You must have read another one on how to be a comedian. You hear what I said about the drink? I'm quite serious, Mr. Marlowe. My father's trying to help yourself. Now, look, Mr. Marlowe. My father's not well, and I want this case handled with the least possible worry to him. That's just the way I was going to handle it. I see. No professional secrets. No. I thought you wanted a drink. I changed my mind. Then what... How did you like Dad? I liked him. He liked Sean. Sean Regan. I suppose you'll know who he is. Uh-huh. You don't have to play poker with me, Mr. Marlowe. Dad wants to find him, doesn't he? Do you? Of course I do. Wasn't right for him to go off like that. Broke Dad's heart, although he won't say much about it. Or did he? Why don't you ask him? You know, I don't see what there is to be cagey about, Mr. Marlowe. And I don't like your manners. Well, I'm not crazy about yours. I didn't ask to see you. I don't mind if you don't like my manners. I don't like them myself. They're pretty bad. I grieve over them long winter evenings, and I don't mind your ritzing me or drinking your lunch out of a bottle. But don't waste your time trying to cross-examine me. People don't talk to me like that. Oh. Do you always think you can handle people like uh, train seals? Uh-huh. I usually get away with it, too. How nice for you. Just what is it you're afraid of? Dad didn't want to see you about Sean at all, did he? Didn't he? Could you find him if Dad wanted you to? Maybe. When did he go? About a month back. Just drove off one afternoon without saying a word. They found his car parked in some private garage. Hey, who's they? Dad didn't tell you then. Oh, yes, he told me about Regan, but that's not what he wants to see me about. That's what you've been trying to get me to say, isn't it? I'm sure I don't care what you say, Mr. Marlowe. I'm wasting your time. Why, Mrs. Rutledge? Oh, Norris. You made a mistake. Mrs. Rutledge didn't want to see me. I'm sorry, sir. I make many mistakes.
During World War II, comedy, drama, news, and variety dominated the radio dial. But after the war, detective shows gained network popularity as programming shifted to smaller studios. They were considered a good deal for advertisers. Well, Sam Spade is the detective of Dashiell Hammett. He is the hero of the Maltese Falcon. Right. The opening line in the Maltese Falcon of the novel is, my name is Sam Spade. How better writing can there be from Hammett? Because he doesn't fool around. There's no waste of time. Larry White, Lawrence White, who was Dashiell Hammett's agent for a great many years, had always wanted me to do Sam Spade in one way or the other, but I had always been too busy. But it came at the exact right moment somehow. One day he said, now how about Sam Spade, after I was well launched into suspense many years. And I said, sure, let's do it. Although Bill Spear was entrenched at CBS, he still had ties with his old agency, Batten Barton, Durston and Osborne, as well as with Lawrence White, Dashiell Hammett's literary agent. Both ABC and CBS wanted to bring the adventures of Sam Spade to the air. Initially, everyone wanted Bogart to be the star. The original plan had been first possibly to use Humphrey Bogart, who had played Sam Spade, of course, in the most famous version there ever will be of Sam Spade in movies, and Bogey perhaps would have been available. He would have cost us at that time $3,000 a week, which in radio was, and certainly is, big money. This whole Sam Spade show, the whole suspense show, never cost over five or $6,000. I said, no, I foresee adding all the things up on one side or the other, that it would be better for us to find an unknown and start with him, then be settled to a star, great as he is, who's going to be going into movies, who's going to be back and forth, there's going to be trouble, he's going to leave for Africa when you want to do next week's show, and we didn't tape things then, there were no... Uh, you had to do them live every week. Even with Bogart's drawbacks, it was assumed no other actor could fill Spade's shoes. Auditions were still held in April of 1946. Enter Howard Duff. And I found Howard Duff, who had played numerous parts in the cast of Suspense and other shows that I did. We did the audition, and it was sold, I think, within 48 hours. I was very hot, if I do say so, at the time, and they were waiting for a show from me, and Sam Spade got started. An audition was recorded on May 1st. I suppose we should begin at the beginning. I hadn't been out of the Army too long. They uh, had this audition for this, what we thought was going to be a pretty good show. And everybody in town, uh, all the so-called leading men, I guess, auditioned for it. And I was lucky. Apparently my quality, I, voice quality I had appealed to Bill and the sponsors, I suppose. And I got it anyway and went on for practically scale. But that didn't matter in those days. It was a good idea to do it. And the show kind of gradually began to take off. In June, Wildroot officially signed on as sponsor. Spade would make its debut in July over ABC's airwaves. Not to be outdone, on July 2nd, CBS broadcast an episode of Academy Award, adapting the Maltese Falcon. Humphrey Bogart reprised his role. We heard the opening portion earlier in this episode of Breaking Walls. Here's the close. You don't? That's too bad. Well, sir, the shortest farewells are best, adieu. And to you, Miss O'Shaughnessy, I leave the rare avis there on the table as a little memento. The Maltese Falcon. <laughs> Shaughnessy talk. Where shall I begin? You came to me and asked me to have Thursby followed. I put my partner on it. He followed Thursby. He was killed. You must have told Thursby he was being followed. I told him, yes, but please believe me, Sam. I wouldn't have told him if I'd thought Floyd Thursby would kill your partner. Miles hadn't many brains, but he had too many years' experience as a detective to be caught like that by a man he was shadowing up a blind alley with his gun tucked away in his hip and his overcoat buttoned. 
but he'd have gone up there with you, Angel. He was just dumb enough for that. And then you could have stood as close to him in the dark as you liked and put a bullet through him. Don't, don't talk like that to me, Sam. You know I didn't Stop know... Stop it. Why did you shoot him? I, I didn't mean to at first. I, I can't look at you and tell you this, You Sam. thought Thursby would tackle him. If he got Thursby, then you were rid of him. If Thursby won, you had something on him. Enough to be rid of him for good. Wasn't that it? Something like that. But when Thursby backed down, you took the gun and did the job yourself. Oh, Sam, sweetheart, from the very first instant I saw you, I knew. You angel. Well, if you get a good break, you'll be out of San Quentin in 20 years, and you can come back to me then. I hope they don't hang you, precious, by that sweet neck. You know deep down in your heart that in spite of anything I've done, I love you. I don't care who loves who. I'm not going to play the sap for you. I won't walk in Thursby's and I don't know how many others' footsteps. You killed my partner and you're going over for it. Why must you do this to me, Sam? Surely your partner wasn't as much to you listen, as... Listen, listen to me. This won't do any good. You'll never understand me, but I'll try once and then give it up. Listen. When a man's partner is killed, he's supposed to do something about it. And it happens we're in the detective business. Well, when one of your organization gets killed, it's bad business to let the killer get away with it. Bad all around. Bad for every detective everywhere. You can't send me to the... Sam, you can't. You love me. You love me. Uh, maybe I do. What of it? Maybe next month I won't. I've been through it before. I'll have some rotten nights after I've sent you over, but that'll pass. I want you, sure, but I won't take you at the price because of all... Because all of me wants to, regardless of consequences. Because you counted on that with me the same as you counted on that with all the others. Sam... Darling, kiss me, kiss me. Sure, sure, baby. What are you doing? Who are you calling? The cops, baby. The cops to come and take you away. Just as thrilling as tracking down some fabulous treasure is the search for the unknown which goes on unceasingly in the Squibb Research Laboratories. For that is the search that leads to the discovery of new life-saving drugs and new life-saving uses for existing drugs. And streptomycin is one of the newest products of this searching. In the new field of medicine opened up by penicillin, streptomycin, still in the testing stages, shows great promise against additional enemies of mankind. That is why Squibb scientists are working night and day to unlock the secrets of streptomycin, to improve the strain, to find and test all the ways in which it may be used in the conquest of disease. It is this same questing spirit, this refusal to stop anywhere short of perfection, that inspires all endeavors of the House of Squibb. It is one reason why, wherever you come across it in the service of human health, Squibb is a name you can trust. Next Wednesday, another great picture. The House of Squibb will present Academy Awards starring Henry Fonda in Young Mr. Lincoln.
Today's performance of the Maltese Falcon was written for radio by Frank Wilson with an original musical score composed and conducted by Leith Stevens. Our producer-director is D. Engelbach. Humphrey Bogart is soon to be seen in Warner Brothers' Big Sleep. Mary Astor appeared through the courtesy of Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, producers of the Technicolor musical Easy to Wed. Sidney Greenstreet is soon to be seen in Warner Brothers' The Verdict. This is Hugh Brundage bidding you good night until next Wednesday at the same time when you're invited to listen again to Academy Awards, presented by the House of Squibb, a name you can trust. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Meanwhile, on October 14, 1946, Bogart and Bacall reprised their roles from To Have and Have Not for the Lux Radio Theater. Lux presents Hollywood. The Lux Radio Theater brings you Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall in To Have and Have Not. Ladies and gentlemen, your producer, Mr. William Keeley. Greetings from Hollywood, ladies and gentlemen. We've had many premieres on the Lux Radio Theater. And tonight, on our 12th anniversary, we bring you one of Hollywood's most fascinating couples, together for the first time on the air. They are Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall, co-starred in Warner Brothers' thrilling screenplay, To Have and Have Not. To Have and Have Not is a story of intrigue and action with Lauren Bacall in the sultry and romantic role that won her instantaneous acclaim. To bring the Bogart family to rehearsals, we had to lure them from their brand new mountain home, where, along with a dog, 14 chickens, and eight ducks, they are still in the process of getting settled. No phone as yet, no tables, and no drapes. But if you should drop in on a friendly visit of inspection, as I did, you'd find Lux Flakes doing their part in washing curtains, bedspreads, blankets, etc., etc., etc. When I commented on this fact, a bogey assured me that on his 54-foot yawl in Newport Harbor, which is the Bogart's home away from home, Lux Flakes are a standard part of the equipment making this family loyal to Lux Flakes on land and sea. It's curtain time, and here's the first act of To Have and Have Not, starring Humphrey Bogart as Harry Morgan and Lauren Bacall as Mary Browning. In 1940, following the fall of France, the rule of the new Vichy government stretched to a group of islands due east and south of the tip of Florida, the French West Indies, among them the island of Martinique. It's early evening. At a little town on the Martinique coast, a boat has just come into port. All right, Eddie, tie her up. That's what I'm doing, Harry. Tie her up good. Well, Mr. Johnson, 
Want to go out again in the morning? No, I'm fed up with this kind of fishing. Yeah, I can see how you would be. You hook a couple of marlin that any good fisherman would give his life to tie in when you lose them both. Yeah, Mr. Johnson, you're just unlucky. Shut up, Eddie. Uh, about my bill. Sixteen days plus the rod and reel you lost overboard. The fishing tackle's your risk. Not when you lose it the way you did. I paid for the rent of it every day. Now, look, if you hired a car and ran it over a cliff, you'd have to pay for it. Well, that's entirely different. Not if you was in it. <laughs> that's a good one, Harry. Yeah, that, that's a good one, Eddie. Now, look, I'm not trying to... lost that gear through carelessness. It cost me 275 bucks. And then there's 16 days at 35 a day. That's a total of 835 bucks. I'll... I'll go to the bank in the morning. I was figuring you'd pay me off tonight. I don't keep cash like that at the hotel. Okay. Well, let's go up and have a drink. Yeah, why not? All right, lock up, Eddie. You mean I can't go with you? That's just what I mean. That drunken old fool. Hey, look, Mr. Johnson, Eddie's my worry, see? Now, don't you worry about Eddie. Well, are you coming or not? Yeah, I'm coming. <laughs> Well, monsieur, what luck today? Uh, not so good, Frenchy. Couple of bourbons straight. What are you doing behind the bar, Frenchy? Oh, a small hotel like this, Harry. The proprietor does a little of everything. So, uh, the fish would not bite, eh? Uh, maybe tomorrow you do better, eh? Not me. I'm through. This is my last day. Oh, that's too bad, eh? Yeah. Well, here's to you. I'm going to wash up. Oh, uh, that bill was 800 and... Uh, 835 bucks. Uh, 835. Oh, Johnson. Yeah? What time tomorrow morning? Oh, uh, after the bank opens, around 10.30. I'll be waiting. Harry, you are free after today? Uh, no more fishing parties? Why? There are some people who want to hire your boat. No, not a chance. They only want it for one night, Harry. They pay well. Well, I can't afford to get mixed up in politics. I would not speak it if I'm not important. You better not speak at all. Company's coming. Company? Oh, good evening, mademoiselle. Anybody got a match? Oh, yeah. Here's a match. Thanks. Hey, who's that? She came in on the afternoon plane. Oh. Well, about my boat, I know what your sympathies are, and it's all right for you, but I don't want any part of it. They are coming here tonight, Harry, to talk to you. Well, then, get word to them. They'd be wasting their time. Oh, I am sorry. Yeah, me too. Harry, Harry, I've been looking all over for What's you. What's doing, Frenchy? Those men wanted to see you. I was unable to reach them. Well, tell them when I get here. It is dangerous for them to come here at all, but to come here for nothing. Oh, you don't even listen. Well, I'm looking at my client, Mr. Johnson. What's that dame doing with Johnson? Dame? The one who was out of matches. Oh, 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 she's been with Johnson all evening. Her name is Browning, Marie Browning. Oh, she's leaving. Yeah, so am I. Oh, hello. Going someplace? Just to my room, if you don't mind. Oh, I don't mind, but mine's much closer. It's right here. Say, mister, what's got into you? Come on, let's have it. Have what? Johnson's wallet. I want that wallet, Slim. I'd rather you wouldn't call me Slim. 
You see, Steve, I'm a little too skinny to take it kindly. I'll quit the baby talk and hand it over. I didn't know you were a hotel detective. Johnson's my client. He didn't speak so well of you. Well, he's still my client. Here. That's more like it. Johnson owes me money. You know, you ought to pick on somebody to steal from who doesn't owe me money. He dropped his wallet and I picked it up. And you were going to give it back to him? No. No, I wasn't. I don't like him. Well, that's a pretty good reason. Besides, I need both there to get out of Martinique. That's another good reason. Well, what's in it? Sixty bucks, a plane ticket, and $1,400 in traveler's checks. Did you expect more? The bird owed me 835 bucks. And he said he'd have to go back to the bank tomorrow and all the time he's got a ticket and a plane leaving at daylight. Then I've done you a favor. That's right. I'm entitled to something. See, what do you think is fair, 50-50? Well, company. Please, Harry, I told him what you said, but I insisted on... It is not Gerard's fault, Mr. Morgan. I I am Jean Beauclair. Come in, boys, close the door. I told Gerard I wasn't interested. Wait a minute, this girl. I'd better go. No, stick around. It's all right to talk in front of you, isn't it, Slim? Go ahead, I don't mind. We'll give you 2,500 francs. We'd offer you more, but we haven't got it. Sorry, my boat's not available. I thought all Americans were friendly to our side, Monsieur Morgan. Yeah, well, there's a rumor they put fellows on Devil's Island for doing what you're doing. I'm not that friendly to anybody. Who's that? Relax. In here, Eddie. Hiya, Harry. See, I wanted to talk to you about the... Hey, who are these guys? I saw them hanging around the dock after you left. For one who drinks, you have a good memory. Yeah, drinking don't bother my memory. If I did, I wouldn't drink. Forget how good it was. Say, was you ever bit by a dead bee? I have no memory of ever being bitten by any kind of bee. Were you, Eddie? Was I? <laughs> Say, you were all right. You know, you got to be careful of dead bees if you go around barefooted, because if you step on them, they sting you just as bad as if they's alive. I bet I've been bit a hundred times that way. Why don't you bite them back? That's what Harry always says. <laughs> but I ain't got no stinger. <laughs> Please, must we listen to this? <laughs> All right, Eddie. <laughs> what do you want? Uh, huh? Oh, uh, I guess I forgot, Harry. Yeah, well, then I'll see you down at the dock later on tonight. See, Harry, could you let me have a couple Here. of... Here. Uh, thanks. You're all right, Harry. Well, uh, so long. Now, look, Beauclair, I don't care who runs France or Martinique or who wants to run it. You'll have to get somebody else's boat. You're leaving? Yeah. Make yourselves at home. Good night, gentlemen. Sorry, Beauclair, but I got a client waiting downstairs. Come on, Slim. I want to see Johnson's face when you hand him back his wallet. Well, there he is, still sitting at the same table. Hey, where have you been? I've been looking all over for you. You're a fine one, Morgan, running off with my girl. She's got something she wants to give you, Mr. Johnson. Go ahead, Slim, hand it over. That's my... my wallet. Yeah. Where'd you get this? I stole it. Stole it? And just what are you going to do about it? The question is, what are you going to do about it? Maybe you'd better look it over. Oh, uh, uh, it's all right, I'm sure. Uh, You better be sure the plane ticket's still there. Goodbye, Mr. Morgan. You're not staying, huh? No, we're not staying. Excuse the interruption, Mr. Uh, Now, look, I was going to pay you off. Sure, you were going to sign some of those traveler's checks, weren't you? I wouldn't skip out on you. Yeah, well, here's a pen. Start signing. Uh, 835. That's right, 835. What's that? What's going on there? Look, Steve, those men are just in your room. They're after them. Pipe down, baby, and duck quick. 
Harry. He, he's dead. Mr. Johnson is dead. Yeah, that's right, Frenchie. Stray bullet. He couldn't ride any faster than he could duck. How do you feel, Slim? Oh, I'm fine, Steve. Just uh, fine. Another minute and those travelers' checks would have been good. Has it struck you it might be an idea to get out of here? Oh, it is no use. The police are coming back. They were after your friends, huh, Beauclair? Yes. You, Gerard, stay where you are. Remember, you know nothing. Hey, they're not regular cops. No, Sûreté Nationale. Gestapo, huh? Yes, yes, quiet, not quiet. What happened to this man on the floor? Uh, a stray bullet, monsieur. His name is Johnson, an American. Unfortunate. Take him away. Your attention, everyone. There is no cause for alarm. Inspector Renard is only interested in those persons who have violated regulations. Monsieur Gérard. Uh, yes? Headquarters for questioning. And you? Not nice to point, Lieutenant. The name's Morgan. Shut up. You, mademoiselle. Say, Steve, was you ever bit by a dead bee? You will come with us at once. I don't know. Yes, yes, later. Now then, you were saying, Monsieur Morgan, you did not know those men. That's right, Inspector. What was your connection with the dead man, Monsieur Johnson? He chartered my boat. But he was leaving Martinique in the morning, eh? Oh, his wallet here. There is no money in it, only traveler's checks. Yeah, well, there was some money in it. Sixty bucks, I took it. Why? Because he owed me over 800. You will surrender it, please. Oh, wait a minute. And your passport. Do not be concerned. If your claim is just, it will be returned. That is all at the moment. Mademoiselle? Yes? Mary Browning, American, age 22. How long have you been in the city? I arrived by plane this afternoon. Residence? Hotel Marquis. Where did you come from? Trinidad. Alone? Yes. Why did you get off here? To buy a new hat. Why? To buy a new hat. Read the label. Maybe you'll believe me then. I never doubted you. It is your tone that is objectionable. I will ask you again. Because I didn't have money enough to go further. Where were you when the shooting occurred? I was in... You the... don't have to answer that stuff. Shut up, you. Don't answer I it. I told you to shut up. Go ahead. Slap me. Monsieur Morgan, we wish merely to get to the bottom of this affair. Well, you never do it by slapping people around. It's bad luck. We shall see. If we need to question you further, you will be at the hotel? Well, you've got my dough and my passport. I'm stuck. By the way, what are your sympathies? Minding my own business. May I suggest... I don't any... need any advice about continuing to do it either. Let's go, Slim. Oh, how do you feel? I'm breathing fresh air again, but I don't understand all this. What's it about, Steve? Well, you, you see, that character Renard works for Vichy. You, you, you know what that is. Yeah, something you put in a drink, isn't it? Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's close enough. Well, well, the other fellows, the ones they were shooting at in the hotel, they're, they're free French. Most of the people on the island are, but they haven't been able to do much about it. You know, I could use a drink. Well, there's a cafe across the street. Let's... Uh-oh, I forgot. No dough. Those guys cleaned me out, remember? Maybe I can do something about that. Another Mr. Johnson, maybe. Oh, uh, any objections? Well, if you're that thirsty, go ahead. You don't mind? No, I'll wait out here. If I get tired, I'll be back at the hotel. You're not sore, are you? Oh, why should I be? I won't be long.
come in. You didn't wait for me very long, did you? No. You're sore, aren't you? Why should I be sore? Oh, I didn't behave very well, did I? <laughs> yes, you did all right, I see. You got a bottle. There was a naval officer. I asked for a bottle and he gave it to me. Just like that? Yeah, he was feeling good, but you're not. Now, look, I don't give a... I know, I know. You don't give a hoop what I do. But when I do it, you get sore. After all, you told me to, you know. I told you. Oh, you said go ahead, didn't you? Yeah, that's right. I guess I did. Would you rather I wouldn't do things like that? Oh, why ask me? I'd like to know. Well, of all the screwy... All right, I won't do it anymore. Now, look, I didn't I say... know you didn't. Don't worry. I know what I'm doing. Yeah, well, as long as you do, sit down. How long have you been away from home? This is about the time for it, isn't it? The story of my life. Well, I got a pretty fair idea already. Who told you? You did? That slap you took from Reynard, you hardly blinked an eye. It takes practice to be able to do that. The next time I get slapped, I'll be sure to do something about it. Hey, you forgot your bottle. I don't want it. Who's sore now? I am. Who is it? It's me. The door's unlocked. Here's your bottle. I said I didn't want it. Oh, you are sore, aren't you? I asked you a question, you didn't answer me. I said you're sore, aren't you? Look, I'm tired. I'd like to get some sleep. What's made you so mad? I've been mad ever since I met you. Well, most people are. One look and you made up your mind just what you wanted to think about me. Well, go ahead. Keep going. You don't know me at all, Steve. It doesn't work, Steve. I brought that bottle up here to make you feel cheap. And that didn't work either. Instead, I'm the one who feels cheap, and I, I've never felt that way before. I, I wanted to... Well, I thought that... Get out of here, will you, before I make a complete fool of myself. How long have you been away from home, Slim? None of... Home about six months. Going back? How? Well, what are you going to do here? I don't know. Get a job, maybe. Jobs are hard to get. Hmm, nice perfume. Remind you of somebody, Steve? No, this is a brand new one to me. Would you go back if you could? I'd walk if it weren't for all that water. Good night, Steve. Good night. And quit worrying. You'll get back all right. Could I see you for a minute? What the... Oh, all right. Open the door. Here's that bottle again. Yeah, that uh, <clears throat> bottle's getting to be quite a problem, isn't it? You want a drink? No. I thought you were so tired. I am. But you gave me something to think about. You said you might be able to help me. That's right. You're going to take that job with those men Frenchie brought up here? Yeah, if I can find what's left of them. But don't get the idea I'd take that job just to help you. I need money, too. Wait a minute. Here, can you use this? Oh, now, that's great. She carries a dough in her shoe. And I thought you said you were broke. Oh, you're awful good, Slim. I'd walk home if it weren't for all that water. Who was the girl, Steve? Who was what girl? The one who left you with such a high opinion of women. You think I lied to you about this money, don't you? Well, there's $32 here. Not enough for boat fare or any other kind of fare. But you can have it if you want it. I'm sorry. I still say you're awful good and I wouldn't... I know. You wouldn't take anything from anyone. You know, Steve, you're not very hard to figure. Only at times... Most of the time, I know exactly what you're going to say. The other times. <laughs> 
the other times, you're just a stinker. What'd you kiss me for? I've been wondering whether I'd like it. What's the decision? I don't know yet. You know now? Well, that was better. Uh, you're sure you won't change your mind about the money? Uh-huh. The money belongs to me, and so do my lips. I don't see any difference. Oh, I do. Okay. You know you don't have to act with me, Steve. You don't have to say anything, and you don't have to do anything. Not a thing. Oh, maybe just whistle. You know how to whistle, don't you, Steve? You just put your lips together and blow. You just put your lips together and... The next January 5th, 1947, Bogart and Lauren McCall were guests on the Jack Benny program. That's because it was dark. Now, let's see. Oh, that must be Miss McCall now. Rochester, you answer the door. I want to sit down and make myself look alluring. I mean, relaxed. Uh, there, uh, how do I look? Fine, boss, but aren't you overdoing it with that rose in your teeth? Rochester. <laughs> What are you laughing at? Ramona Benny. <laughs> the rose is for my lapel. Oh, answer. Answer the door. Answer. Yes, sir. Is Mr. Benny at home? Yes. Come right in, Miss McCall. <laughs> oh, uh, Rochester... Uh, who is it? Miss Lauren Bacall. Well, Lauren Bacall. You were expecting maybe Mrs. Nussbaum? <laughs> uh, Rochester, you can get lost now. Yes. <laughs> well, uh, come in, Lauren. Uh, this is in pleasure, Dieter. I mean, indeed, a pleasure. <laughs> uh, make, uh, uh, make yourself comfortable. Sit down. No, thanks. I'll just lean here against the door. Gosh, Lauren. Seeing you there reminds me of your first picture, the have and have not. You were leaning against the door, just like that. And then you said your famous line. You mean, if you want anything, just whistle. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, Lauren... Lauren, shall we, uh, shall we start rehearsing? No hurry, no hurry. You got a cigarette? A cigarette? Yes, yes, yes. Here you are. Thanks. Match? Match. You know, uh, <laughs> you know, Lauren, that, uh, cigarette I gave you is a lucky strike. I know, and it's my favorite brand, too. Really? Yes. They're so round, so firm, so fully packed. So free and easy on the draw. Gee, Effie Boone never sounded like that. <laughs> Gosh, Lauren, I, I can just picture you in a bathing suit holding up that big tobacco leaf. <laughs> and you know, Lauren, lucky strikes are made of that fine, that light, that naturally mild tobacco. Well, what do you know? And I thought Mother told me everything. <laughs> Well, 
Live and learn. You must have learned a lot. Yes, yes. Well, now, let's start rehearsing. Here's your script. We're going to do a sketch based on your picture, to have and have not. You'll play the same part you did in the picture. Okay. Well, let's start. I'll take the uh, first line. <clears throat> Wait a minute, Jack. I'm supposed to lean against the door. Oh, yes, yes. I... <laughs> yes, I, I'm sorry. Well, we'll start again. <clears throat> You're sore at me, aren't you, Slim? Sure, Steve. I'm sore at you. I wanted to get even. I brought that bottle of brandy up here to make you feel cheap. But I'm the one who feels cheap. Well, you've only got yourself to blame, Slim. After all, what did I do? Nothing. What's more, you don't have to do anything. Oh, maybe just whistle. You know how to whistle, don't you, Steve? You just put your lips together and blow. No, Slim. I got a better use for my lips. <laughs> Come here and let me kiss you. All right, but first take that rose out of your teeth. <laughs> I'm so sorry, you know. I, I, I meant to put that in my lapel, in my lapel. Now, let, now let's, start the, the, let's start the scene over again. <clears throat> you're, uh, you're sore at me, aren't you, Slim? Sure, Steve, I'm sore at you. I wanted to get even. I brought that bottle up here to Who make you... brought what bottle up where? Curly. Well, St. Peter must have left the gate open and look who fell out. Oh, leave a lamp burning in the window, Mother. I may be a little late. Well, ah, yes, there's good news tonight. Well, introduce me, Jackson. Introduce me. All right, all right. This is Miss Lauren Bacall. Lauren, this is my colleague, Phil Harris. Well, hoity-toity, I'm a colleague now. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, now go already. Okay, okay. Now, come on, Lauren. Let's take that kissing scene again. Uh, we'll take that kissing scene again. Let's start where I... Hmm, who can that be? I left strict orders not to be disturbed. Mr. Benny, Mr. Humphrey Bogart's at the door. Humphrey Bogart? Oh, Jack, I forgot to tell you. Bogey said he dropped by here and picked me up. You know, he and I are married. I know. Uh, who do you think played the violin at your wedding? <laughs> anyway, he can wait outside. We got a scene to rehearse, and we're going to do it. Uh, hello, baby. Hiya, Jack. Look, Humphrey, we're right in the middle of the rehearsal. Oh, that's all right, Jack. Go right ahead. We won't be long, honey. That's all right, baby. You know, Jack, I'm glad to see you again. You're my favorite comedian. I am? Well, that's good. Now, Lauren, <clears throat> I mean, I mean, Miss Bacall. Oh, by the way, what should I call you? Lauren or Miss Bacall? Mrs. Bogart. <laughs> hmm. Now, let's get on with the rehearsal, Mrs. Bogart. Start with your, uh, starting with your last speech. Okay. You know how to whistle, don't you, Steve? You just put your lips together and blow. No, Slim. I got a better use for my lips. Come here and let me kiss you. <laughs> what a comedian. What a comedian. <laughs> Look, Humphrey, I'm trying to... Mr. Benny, there's a telephone call for you. Oh. Well, pardon me a minute, folks. I'll be right back. How's it going, baby? 
Oh, brother. <laughs> yeah, I thought so. Say, uh, baby, I want you to do something. What is it? When you get to kiss him, just put one arm around him and run your other hand through his hair. Why? I want to find out if he really wears one. <laughs> Hey, uh, what does Benny, what does Benny want to be a great lover for, anyway? Well, why shouldn't he? After all, he played a romantic lead and the horn blows at midnight. You saw that, didn't you? Yeah, and they called our last picture the big sleep. <laughs> oh, uh, by the way, what's this sketch you're rehearsing with Benny? To have and have not. We're rehearsing the big scene you and I did in the picture. Oh? Which one of you is playing my part? <laughs> He's coming back. Oh, I'm sorry. I had to answer the phone, but, well, that's the price of fame. Who was it? Wrong number. <laughs> I mean, my, uh, my sponsor called because he sent me the wrong number of tickets at the broadcast. Now, let's uh, get on with the rehearsal, Lauren. We'll start with my line. Well, you've only got yourself to blame, Slim. After all, what did I do? Nothing. What's more, you don't have to do anything. Oh, maybe just whistle. You know how to whistle, don't you, Steve? You just put your lips together and blow. No, Slim. I got a better use for my lips. Come here and let me kiss you. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute, Jack. Hold it. You're doing it all wrong. Wrong? Yeah. When you get ready to kiss a girl, you put your arms around her gently, tenderly. What? Yeah, you're not supposed to grab her by the earlobes and pull yourself up. <laughs> Oh, I see. And now watch me. Come here, baby. Read that line again. Okay. You know how to whistle, don't you, Steve? You just put your lips together and blow. No, Slim. I got a better use for my lips. Come here and let me kiss you. Like this. I get the idea. That's enough, Humphrey. Look, you can do that at home. Look. <laughs> Humphrey, I'm paying her by the hour. Stop! I'm supposed to do that. I, uh... I get the idea now, Bogey. Uh, let you and I take it again, Lauren. Say, Jack, our gin rummy game's over, so I thought I'd come in here and watch you rehearse. All right, all right, but be quiet. Now, come on, Lauren. Start with your line again. Okay. You know how to whistle, don't you, Steve? <laughs> you just put your lips together and blow. Ah, Slim. I got a better use for <laughs> Come here, Larry. Kiss you. Like this. No, 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 Jack. No, no. You're doing it all wrong. Here, let me show you again. What? I'll do it with Mary this time. Are you ready, Mary? Am I ready? I was puckered up when I walked in here. <laughs> but look, Mary isn't even... Come on, Mary. Come on, Mary. You take baby's line. Okay. You know how to whistle, don't you, Steve? You just put your lips together and blow. Oh, no. I've got a better use for my lips. <laughs> Come here and, and let me kiss you. Like this. 
Sister, I send all my Coca-Cola tops to Mary. Danny, now listen to me, Bogart. I saw you kissing a woman I love, see? And you ain't muscling in on my racket, see? Those lips ain't big enough for the both of us, see? Now get out of here before you get hurt, see? Get out, see? Out, see? Out, see? Out! Dennis, see? Come on, baby, let's get out of here. This guy's tough. Bogart, Lauren, come back! Dennis! Dennis, I can't believe it. You know what you did? You frightened Humphrey Bogart. Sure. Dennis, what's that you got in your hand? A picture of my mother. Oh, no wonder. Now, Lauren will never be on my program. Jack, we'll be back in just a minute. But first, here's my good friend, Mr. L.A. Speed Riggs.